As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, our journey through the Gospel of Mark brings us to a particular place, a place which serves as an object lesson for some of Jesus' most pointed teachings, the temple in Jerusalem. Our passage picks up several days after Jesus and his disciples arrive in Jerusalem, and the first thing Jesus does in Jerusalem is go to the temple the place of God, the center of the Jewish religion. Once there, Jesus looks around at everything. This long, hard look at the temple does not please Jesus, for the very next day he goes back and drives out those who've turned it into a place of commerce, a place where some could make money. The next day, Jesus goes to the temple again and engages in confrontations with the religious authorities that grow increasingly heated. All of this leads up to today's passage, in which Jesus reveals that the true meaning and purpose of religion has nothing to do with buildings or titles or status or with keeping certain rules. The true meaning is love. Love of God, love of the other, love of self. Then Jesus shows his followers an example of what that love looks like, a vulnerable, marginalized member of society giving her whole life to an institution that has failed her. Now hear these words, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34 and 38 through 44. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. As he taught, he said, beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury 
Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan, have been in the news lately after an interview in which they shared details of the dysfunction within the British royal family. This particular family's dysfunction involves a rather toxic mix of classism, racism, and poor communication. It got me thinking back to Harry and Meghan's wedding several years ago, when the media suggested that the prince's marriage to a biracial American was a sign that the royal family was becoming more open and inclusive. Perhaps most tellingly, in the weeks following the wedding, what got the most attention in the press wasn't Meghan's wedding dress or the hats worn by various celebrity guests, but the homily, which was delivered by Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in America, who happens to be black. In part, what struck people about Curry's homily was the contrast between his delivery and the response of his listeners. Curry did not adjust the enthusiasm or passion of his usual delivery for this decidedly reserved congregation. He preached. And what he preached about was the power of love. Not just the romantic love that brought Harry and Meghan together, but biblical love, self-sacrificial love, the kind of love that keeps families together over decades and children and betrayals and disagreements. Curry also preached about love that transcends the ties of family, which is the love Jesus calls us to have for all God's children. Here's how he puts it. On these two, love of God and love of neighbor, hang all the law, all the prophets, everything that Moses wrote, everything in the Holy Prophets, everything in the Scriptures, everything that God has been trying to tell the world. Love God. Love your neighbors. And while you're at it, love yourself. No. Someone once said that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in all of human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world, and a movement mandating people to live that love, and in so doing, to change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He, he, he didn't, he wasn't getting anything out of it. He gave up his life, he sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the good of the other, for the well-being of the world, for us. That's what love is. Love is not selfish and self-centered. Love can be sacrificial. And in so doing, becomes redemptive. 
And that way of unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love changes lives and it can change this world. In today's passage, Jesus talks about love in direct contrast to his criticism of institutional religion and its leadership. This comes in the midst of a series of confrontations between Jesus and the religious authorities, confrontations in which Jesus calls out the ignorance and hypocrisy of anyone who thinks that status, wealth, or power can bring one closer to God. Now, Jesus is not condemning Judaism as a religion. He is critiquing the system that the temple has become, a system that exploits the poor and elevates the wealthy and powerful. In answer to a question from one of the religious leaders about the most important commandment, Jesus quickly distills it down to this, love, love God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, with your whole self, with everything you have. Now, Jesus is not making up this commandment on the spot. He is quoting one of the best-known and loved commandments of the Jewish faith from the book of Deuteronomy. These verses are a touchstone for the Jewish people. But then Jesus takes it a step further and pairs this bedrock commandment with a lesser-known verse from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. By pairing these two commandments together, Jesus suggests that you cannot assess someone's love of God by their religious adherence alone, whether they pray the right prayers, come to worship every week, keep all the rules. According to Jesus, Our love of God is revealed by how we love our neighbor. In Luke's gospel, the scribe asks a follow-up question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with the parable of the Samaritan. But in Mark, Jesus points to a woman, a poor widow, one of that society's most vulnerable members. And Jesus seems to suggest that how the religious leaders are loving that poor widow is a much better measure of how they're loving God than any of their seemingly pious actions. Now, you may have heard this story about the poor widow who puts in her last two coins. You may have heard that used in a way that holds this widow up as an example for us to emulate. Look at this poor woman who has given everything she has to the temple. But we should be clear about what's going on here. Jesus doesn't seem to be praising the widow. All he does is describe what he sees as he watches people at the treasury. And what he says is that this woman has contributed more than any of the wealthy people who've put in huge sums that represent a tiny percentage of their wealth. The poor widow put in everything, all that she had to live on, or as the Greek literally puts it, her whole life. She gave her whole life to a corrupt and failing institution 
whose religious texts are filled with exhortations to care for the widow and the orphan and the refugee. She is the one fulfilling the command to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, not just because she gives her last pennies to the temple, but because she gives it, even though the temple leadership has utterly failed in its calling to care for her. The widow's extravagant gift not only reveals God's extravagant love, her giving indicts the very institution called to extend that love to the children of God who are vulnerable and pushed to the margins. Richard Allen was born a slave in Pennsylvania in 1760. Living through the American Revolution, he was inspired by its rhetoric of liberty and independence. He became a Christian at the age of 17, and after purchasing his freedom in 1786, he began to preach in the Methodist Church, and he eventually received an appointment to an interracial church in Philadelphia. In spite of the diversity of that church, the white members treated the black members as if they were second class, segregating them to particular seats in the sanctuary. But with a new black preacher in Allen, the number of black worshipers steadily increased, and so did the racial tension. One day in 1792, Allen and another black minister, Absalom Jones, entered the sanctuary for worship. Without realizing it, they sat down in a pew that had been reserved for white churchgoers. As they began to pray, a white trustee from the church interrupted them. Allen wrote in his diary about what happened next. We had not been long upon our knees before I heard considerable scuffling and low talking. I raised my head up and saw one of the trustees having hold of the Reverend Absalom Jones, pulling him up off his knees and saying, You must get up. You must not kneel here. Mr. Jones replied, Wait until prayer is over. The trustee said, No, you must get up now, or I will call for aid and I will force you away. Mr. Jones said, Wait until prayer is over and I will get up and trouble you no more. Rather than heeding the minister's pleas, the trustees physically removed him from the sanctuary. Richard Allen ended up leaving that church, taking all of the black members with him, and he became one of the founders of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Allen gave his whole life to God. In spite of the ways the institution of the white church tried to convince him, he had no place there. We are nearly to the end of this season of Lent, nearly to the events of Holy Week, events through which Jesus himself will demonstrate the true meaning of whole life giving. Ever since he entered Jerusalem, Jesus has been on a path that can only end on the cross, and he's getting closer to that cross every minute. He will finally give his life, his whole life, to a world 
that is no less corrupt than the temple he criticizes. He will give his life, his whole life, for people who are so offended by his willingness to call out their hypocrisy and abuse of their position and privilege that they would execute him rather than take a hard look at their actions and consider changing their ways. Jesus gives his whole life, and he expects nothing less from his followers. I'm preaching this sermon in a week when we have experienced yet another act of gun violence by a white Christian man who killed seven women, six of them Asian, and one man, and who critically injured another. This man purchased his gun on the same day that he violently ended the lives of these fellow human beings who were created in God's own image. His excuse was that they were for him a source of temptation in his struggle with sex addiction. Numerous articles have identified him as a devoted member of his conservative Christian church. These articles suggested it was his religious beliefs that gave him such a complex about his sexual desires that he would end lives to deal with them. When something like this happens, and especially when we hear that someone who would perpetrate such horrific violence is part of and may even have been motivated by their religious beliefs, we wrestle with the very institution that we love. We may even start to think we don't want anything to do with it. But if we read through the Bible, we will quickly discover there has never been a time when the institutions of the Jewish and Christian religions have fully lived up to our stated beliefs or consistently practiced what we preach. The Hebrew prophets leveled withering criticisms of God's people for their failures, and Jesus did the same. And yet the pattern has continued. Religious institutions get it wrong nearly as often as we get it right. From prohibiting women in leadership, to taking cash payments in exchange for forgiveness, to justifying chattel slavery, to excluding LGBTQ people from full communion. This history, even what happens in the present, can make us think there is simply no point in trying, that we are doomed to get it wrong. But in today's passage, Jesus offers us a glimpse of what it looks like to get it right. In this poor widow, one of that society's most vulnerable members, who loves God with her whole life. And Jesus invites us to do the same, to love God and to love one another with everything we have which sometimes means being willing to confess how our institutions have gotten it wrong, to confess and then to try again. 
To love God with our whole lives has very little to do with the status quo, with keeping things as they are, with maintaining our position and our power. As Michael Curry reminded the world in his homily at that royal wedding, the love Jesus taught is not selfish and self-centered. It is sacrificial. And it is love that changes lives and that changes the world. To love God with our whole lives is a radical expression of hope and of belief in the future, in what can be possible with God. The widow knows that the temple, her church, isn't all that it could be. Jesus knows that humanity isn't all we could be either. Yet Jesus gives himself his whole life on the cross because of what he knows humanity can become. The widow gives everything she has in hopes of what the temple can become, but also as an extravagant act of love for God. So may we find the courage to give our whole lives to love God by loving God's children, one and all. Amen.